This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 43, with guest Dora Osinde. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's conversation. Dora Osinde is the Global Chief Creative Officer at Granny, a creative agency with a mission to turn entertainment and lifestyle brands into pop culture icons. For about five years before joining Granny, Dora worked as a global creative marketeer at Netflix, where she first took the dark Netflix socials from zero to over one million followers and later was running global marketing campaigns for Netflix originals such as Dark, Elite, Quicksand and Blood and Water. We talk about her times at Netflix, her plans at Granny, trends in social media marketing and why successful marketing has to be thought of as social first. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Here we are back in the studio and I'm thrilled to welcome my dear guest today, Dora, with whom we will explore her path as a creator and marketeer and learn about what successful social media marketing looks like today. Dora, welcome. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love that your, your answer is laughing. <laughs> Perfect. Dora, I was reading that you have always dedicated yourself to pop culture from the beginning, really, of your professional path, you have been in social media. So mm -hmm. why pop culture? Why social media won you over? You make it sound very purposeful, and the reality is that it's not or that it wasn't. I always cared about entertainment in the widest sense. I cared about fashion in the widest sense. I cared about street culture. I cared about hip-hop. And accessing all these things was through the internet. And even before that, like you had to, I was actually having a conversation about this yesterday, you had to actually go find stuff. You had to go find the mixtapes and you had to go find the fashion. You had to go find the store that would have that one brand that was technically New York based. And how would you get it? Which is probably also giving away how old, <laughs> how old I am. But I really, really cared very much about these things. And while other people were probably outside doing other teenage stuff, I spent a lot of time inside, like watching shows and listening to music, that kind of thing. And I don't think, again, I ever purposefully chose that as a career path. I just generally really cared about it mm -hmm. um, from the beginning. And I got quite lucky that by the time MySpace came around and that was a thing, um, somebody asked me to run their MySpace for them. It was a tiny, tiny fashion brand from my hometown. And I did their MySpace for them. And that, luckily, put me in a position where I was one of the first people in Germany that actually had that skill set to say, oh, you want to do something on the Internet? Oh, I know how to do that. I've done that before. So, yeah, there's not as much plan behind that as it may sound looking back at it 15 years from it, you know what I mean? That's pretty cool. I mean, just trying and, and exploring it and then saying like, hey, I have uh, the skill set. So let's take this further. So after my, my space, were you based in Berlin? Like, how did your um, path looks like from there? I wasn't. Um, so I come from, or I was born in Chemnitz. I come from Chemnitz, which is, I tend to call it the saddest city in <laughs> Germany. It's awful. And I think actually by numbers, it's m many years um, the oldest city, like ranking as the oldest city in Germany. It's really not a cool place. Okay. Um, so by the time I was able to leave that place, I went to Leipzig, lived there for a little bit. I went to university. And then actually there was a point 
And I worked actually, I worked at Sprite Shard um, mm-hmm. during my time in Leipzig, actually doing social for them as well. And again, that also wasn't necessarily a job I had in mind. I started as a working student doing something completely different there. And then there was this cool guy who became my first boss in social. And he was like, hey, I'm building this thing. Do you know things about the Internet? I'm like, yeah, I actually do. And that actually became my like proper um, first job in social. And then I think I hadn't properly finished university. Um, I didn't pick up my diploma, if you will. Mm. Didn't pick up my degree, but everything I owned, like from my Vigitzima, um, my shared apartment in Leipzig, put it in my 20 year old car and left for Berlin, not having a job or anything lined up. That's bold. Um, in Germany, where you need like certificate for everything, right? Yes. And fuck it. That's terrible. <laughs> Nobody actually needs it. Makes no sense at all. And that's kind of how the story goes. And then I ended up in Berlin. Nice. And... Maybe fast forward to 2015. That's when you joined Netflix mm-hmm. um, and you were heading. So from all that story, here we are in 2015, <laughs> heading social media for dark in Central and Eastern Europe, like top, top, top. You know, and this is amazing. But how is it like for you switching from e-commerce, German-based Elando, to this giant of the entertainment industry, Netflix? Interesting in the sense that I probably always was a terrible employee and especially in very German companies. And I guess Zalando is one of those very German companies. And looking back at that time, obviously it's a very interesting company in a sense that if you look at Europe and e-commerce, the budgets they move, the markets that they're active in, that's quite exciting. You get to see a lot of stuff. I remember back then, I, for example, was part of the first advertising flight on Instagram. And if there was anybody in in Europe that was part of that program, it's a player like Zalando, right? They're moving enough budget for these platforms to go, hey, you want to test this thing with us? So that was pretty exciting. And at the same time, it's very rigorous, right? It's very like mm-hmm. be at the office. Back then it was be at the office at a certain time and mm-hmm. we work so many hours and we do this and we so, don't do this. Yeah. A lot of rules, right. very little flexibility, very many hierarchies, very German in that sense. So stepping into that international company or American company, if you will, very different culture, which spoke to me. I think the way I like to work, that just clicked with Netflix. And at the same time, you learn a lot about yourself and how you function and how German you truly are and um, things where you actually would miss the order. Mm-hmm. But give me some examples. I'm just curious. I think the culture at Netflix generally allows for a lot of freedom and space for you to make decisions. It's expected of you to just make a decision. We're not going to tell your boss isn't going to tell you, right? You might show up as you would know from your other jobs here in Germany. I knew that from Zalando. I prep my thing. I prep my campaign. I have all this thinking. I put it in a deck. I show it to my boss and then First of all, she's going to take it to her boss and see if it's going to work or not. Maybe she's not even mentioning (laughs) that I did the whole work for it, right? And then she's going to come back to me and she's going to tell me, okay, we're doing these three things. We're not doing these two. And that's the budget. But, you know, maybe it'd be good if you spend a little less. Right. At Netflix, your boss is going to go, we hired you to run the market. You go. I don't know. You know better. I'm British. You're German. That's your job now. Go so, figure. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, but who then approves the budgets? Who Nobody does. There's no... Wow. Back in the day, nobody did. Back in the day, the budget was bottom up. 
So I would sit down and my colleagues would sit down, sit down for their function or their market and say, okay, obviously you have comparable data from the years before, right? You not just show up to your boss and say, <laughs> okay. hey, I need $100 million, <laughs> right? That's not what it is. But you would kind of sit down and say, okay, I'm planning out my year. I'm thinking about the things that need to get done. And I think it's that much money. Um, and I think for the first few years in Europe, especially going through this exciting growth phase, pretty much anything went, right? Obviously, somebody would come back and say, hey, listen, that title is not that important. Maybe we want to spend less on it. But it was really your thinking, your strategy. You needed to do the analysis. You needed to show up with good thinking. And your boss would say, okay. Just do it. You go. Yeah. Just yeah. do it. And it seems like it worked. I mean, you have like you took the social handles from zero to over one million followers in the DAC region. Like, that's amazing. You know, how did you do that? What was your strategy? Well, I'm going to correct a little bit, and this is not to brag, but I think it's actually a nice story. The time um, Granny, the agency I work for now, or the agency I'm a co-owner of now, is actually still running those social channels. And I think when I took over the account, when I got the logins, I think we were at 15,000 followers in Germany. Mm -hmm. That was 2015. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think we're now catering to 6.4 million people. And I remember getting the keys to the kingdom, basically, and my British boss going, I don't think Germans are ever going to talk to us. Germans hate brands. Good luck. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. And I think the summary of the strategy and the way I think many regional managers during that time for Netflix approach it in their individual markets is finding a sweet spot that presents this very American and very global brand in a very local way. Yes, we're a big entertainment brand. Yes, we have all this exciting content. Um, but I know exactly what you guys in Germany are talking about. I know the jokes you make. I know the memes you laugh about. And suddenly it had a quality where the audience felt very seen and understood because it was so unusual for an mm. American brand to, to get the joke right. that you and your German friends would tell to each other in a bar or whatever or in social or in WhatsApp, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it had like an interesting element of surprise. I mm. remember one of the big breakthroughs was when we did a version of Dinner for One. Oh, yeah. Which is the most German of all things. It does not make sense to anyone else. To Maybe for explanation, Dinner for One is a thing Germans watch on New Year's Eve. It's actually a British play. It's about this old lady. She basically eats by herself. She has this waiter and and so on and things so on. Get very interesting. Yes. After, li <laughs> after living in Germany for six years, only last year I've watched it first time. So I'm like, where was I <laughs> all those past New Year's? But it's a whole thing, it's right? It's the best thing ever. Yeah. And the weird thing about it, it's British, but nobody in the UK watches it. It's entirely like it's so German culture. So we did a Netflix version of it. And like the different guests that she has at her dinner table, they were all like different Netflix characters. This thing keeps getting press every year. And it was such an interesting moment of that's the kind of thing. It is very Netflix. It's rooted in the shows, but it's so German. Only a German could make it and other Germans will get right. it. And I remember my boss saying, I don't understand what this is. I, I don't know why you're spending that money on it. But I think that's what we're looking for. If I don't get it, like my boss, yeah. as a Brit, then you're probably on to something. And that was really the whole strategy wow. for launching and growing the market. I love that level of trust. Oh, yeah, it's for essential. sure. Absolutely. 
it's essential. And then taking such a global brand and making sure it's locally relevant and you're speaking the language that people want you to speak to them and not saying like, hey, we're like famous in the States, mm -hmm. so just take us as we are. <laughs> Who wants yeah. that maybe, right? Yeah. Cool. But I also have a quote from um, one of the co-founders at Granny about you. And I would love you to reflect on what, what, what was he trying to say? Because he said that you have unique understanding of social media marketing and your own image of how you use the internet and its potential, always with an eye on diversity. What are your thoughts here? What was he referring to? And if you reflect on your work, why would he say that, that you have that unique <laughs> understanding? Oh, God. What's your secret sauce? The secret sauce. I really do not know. I obviously appreciate him saying that. I do not know. I think if I think about the style of my creative It is indeed very much rooted in social and very much rooted in what I see and hear and like observe and, and consume every day. But whenever I talk specifically to, to the people at Granny who actually run social accounts who are in the day-to-day, -day, in the community management, the things they know about what works, if I find it ever, I'm very happy to, to share it. The level of intuition they have mm. on what works looking at marketing and looking at audiences i wish i could explain it but i honestly think it's the sum of all the things these people actually consume on the internet mm. i honestly think it comes from being very passionate about pop culture and being very passionate about spending time online mm -hmm. and then when interesting people get together and put it together mm -hmm. something beautiful happens that doesn't feel like an ad mm-hmm But I wish I had a formula. I really don't. That's cool. And you said social first. Why do you think that successful marketing has to be thought as social first? Because I, I fundamentally believe that nobody else cares about anything else. You do not send your best friend a car commercial. Why would you do that? Right. Have you ever? Have you ever done that? Nope. Probably not, right? But I'm quite sure you send your best friend a meme. Right. Every once in a while, right? You see mm. this funny thing or you see this joke or do mm. you share your a new favorite song of yours or whatever it may be, right? It's actually looking at marketing social first to us fundamentally only means we like to create things that people actually care about. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, it's not a 500,000 euro car commercial. Right. But then you also rely on word of mouth, basically. Yeah. You Very want you want so. people to pick things up and to start sharing with their friends. Hmm. Absolutely. Because that's also the kind of advice or, um, yeah, I'm going to call it advice, the kind of advice you care about, right? If your best friend says, hey, you should check out this restaurant, you should check out this song, you should check out this film you will take it seriously. You will at least consider. Mm. It's going to feel very different than, again, a big-ass car commercial. Or it, this friend could be a community, a trusted community Absolutely. that you follow and then they share the, the recommendations, right? Because that's also the trends I see for marketing is being very much growth based on community and mm -hmm. building loyal like followers, right? Oh, 100%. We fundamentally, at Granny, we fundamentally believe that Brands need to become part of pop culture and become actors in pop culture and mm -hmm. participate. And I think building a community, not necessarily about your product, around your product, but about a thing you care about or a thing you stand for, then suddenly you mm. become th the entity that's allowed to give advice, that's allowed to, you know, plug a 
product if you have to. And I think that's, you can quite nicely see that in the Netflix community in Germany. We have now earned the credibility to say, hey, here's this new film and we really think it's good. And you will not feel like we tricked you into doing something you actually didn't want. You will feel like, oh, they probably know what they're talking about. Let me check it out. Right. That's cool. You've been, and speaking of Netflix, you've been running campaigns for Netflix originals across Europe. So after scaling the socials, Mm -hmm. you focused on Netflix originals across Europe, Middle East, Africa, and basically uh, running campaigns for Dark, Elite, Quicksand, Blood and Water. Could you tell me more of what you did for those series and what was your approach? And, you know, maybe just share some examples. Verbally, unfortunately. Ooh, yes. <laughs> so after I left the um, Dark and um, Eastern Europe, social media position, I went into a global creative marketing role. And the the purpose was to launch the first originals in these individual markets. So the shows you just named, they were from Sweden, from Spain, from Germany, from South Africa. Um, the, we did the second Turkish original. So it was really about, actually very similar to the social job for Germany. It was kind of applying what Netflix obviously does so well with American content and Hollywood content, applying what these teams knew about how to launch a show and how to maybe even build a franchise, make something that goes on for several seasons and turn that into something that still feels very local to the audiences there. And sometimes it was that, right? Sometimes it was about making a title relevant in Sweden or in Germany. But if we look at the example of Dark, the job was not only to make it relevant in Germany, but to actually turn it into a global thing. And that's where the job got quite exciting and interesting. Like, what's what's the universal truth? What's the thing that somebody in Germany, in Brazil, and in Japan can connect on and could can talk about online and would enjoy in a teaser and trailer and a key art, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Um, and that was that was a really exciting time, for sure. What was it usually that would connect a very local show uh, globally? Obviously, it's very different from title to title. I think the nuances and way in the way a story is told they obviously differ if you have mm-hmm. a storyteller from Japan a storyteller from Germany a storyteller from Brazil again but i think the things we care about as people they don't change right mm-hmm. it's about friendship it's about love it's about our fears it's about our hopes that doesn't change it doesn't really matter where you're from or the language you speak and if you find that nugget in each title there's a brilliant and beautiful way to to tell a story around it as a marketer obviously right there's layers to it but yeah that's true. That that makes total sense. Cool. I have to I have to Google a couple just to to see those works. And uh, I think Elite is a good one. Right? Elite is a fascinating one because it's a Spanish show, and Spanish shows, Spanish speaking shows have always been quite popular. If you look at Latin America, huge audiences. A show from Spain, I think, up until Casa de Papel, wasn't really a thing. Quite mm-hmm. frankly. And then Elite comes along and it kind of falls into my lap and there's this beautiful young cast and we get to do the whole pretty people partying, et cetera, et cetera thing. And it works. We go through premiere, we go through launch day, suddenly it's a million followers. It's like, oh. But the story sounds very usual. That's what I'm saying. Right? That's the beauty of it. There's a global element to it. There's a human truth. We all love to see teenagers going through struggles, right? Doesn't matter if it's Gossip Girl or Elite. It works. There was something really interesting happening with Elite. So I think that's a good campaign to look up. Cool. Mm -hmm. We'll check this out. So 
What was your biggest takeaway from being with Netflix for um, about five years? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff. I think finding a place that fits the way you like to work is really important. I think there's something there, like not trying to fit into anyone's box, but doing your own thing, like the difference it makes in happiness and satisfaction, all that stuff. There's that. And I think I'm still a terrible employee. How do you define it? You say it the second time. I wonder, what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? I think my personal desire to make my own decisions is so strong that I probably made life very difficult for any of my bosses. Because that's how it goes, right? There's somebody that you report into and it's their job to make decisions and to keep the party going and all these things. And then there's me saying, no, I don't want to do that. No, that's dumb. I don't <laughs> like it. So yeah, I think there's. I think that's what makes me a terrible employee. Okay, well, now it's a, it's a good thing because you're, you're, you're the boss, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> so yes. the, the narrative have changed a bit. Yes, and that's a very deliberate choice, right? <laughs> yeah. Cool. And we're going to actually, you know, talk about that because today you are managing director and global chief creative officer at Granny. Mm -hmm. And Granny is a creative agency with a mission to elevate entertainment and lifestyle brands into pop culture icons. What attracted you to Granny? You work with them way back in the days. Yeah. And then you were like, hey, that's a great team. I want to be part of this. I'm pretty much that. So I, I've known the founders for many, many years now. I keep referring to the three of them as one of my longest lasting relationships. I think we're going on year nine of working together and friendships and work relationships. And the three founders uh, stick together. Yes. Right? Yes. Since the beginning. Cool. Yeah. Um, and we have worked together before Granny even existed, like way before I was at Netflix, like there were different places that we worked at or they had their own smaller shops or were freelancing and our paths kept crossing. Um, so there's that element of actually enjoying working with people that I know and trust and that I care about. Um, and then during the time at Netflix, I had already decided, like I had set certain goals for myself in that company, things I wanted to do or things I wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. And then there was a time where I knew the day would come where I was going to be ready to move back to Berlin and not have a boss anymore. <laughs> so it was a very obvious choice to get together with the people that I've worked with for so many years. Mm -hmm. And so what are you working on right now with Granny? And maybe you can reveal some of your favorite clients, <laughs> projects. <laughs> ah, what are we working on right now? Well, so we've definitely doubled down on our focus on entertainment. I think big, interesting streaming clients in Europe we're talking to or we're working for. And that's been great so far. In 21, we've opened Amsterdam and Hamburg. So that's where most of my time or a lot of my time went to in 2021. Now for 22, I've taken over the managing director job for Berlin. And honestly, we're working on a global agency servicing global entertainment clients. So you're going to continue growing? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no other way. We're in this very strange size where it's <laughs> you grow or you die. Like there's no other there's no other option here. And I think in terms of nicest clients, I will have to stick to Netflix. They're wonderful clients because I think the way they're running the business internally, being very open, being very transparent, offering partners a lot of trust, 
you also get that as an agency. And I think if I compare that to many other clients, it's just a very nice and it's just a very, it, it feels like a great partnership. It's a good way of working together when you as the agency are treated like an equal. We're trying mm -hmm. to do this together. It's not you getting the job done for me. It's our project and let's mm -hmm. see what we can do together. And that's really, really nice. Mm -hmm. And But how does it feel for you? Because previously at Netflix, so you were serving the customers, right? Mm -hmm. Now your customers are... Netflix, where you work basically at. <laughs> yeah. So how, how is this kind of, there's a different ball game here. How it does is. it feel for you? See, that's the trap. <laughs> I didn't want to have a boss anymore. Now I have many, many different bosses, the clients. Um, the clients. I think there's a lot of upside in having been on client side. I think I have a good understanding of what clients want to see, the way they like to have things presented to them, the information they may need to go to their bosses or their boards to pitch an idea or get budget for an idea. That's really great. But yeah, the reality of the agency business is you now have many, many bosses. So how do you guys currently hire, attract and retain talent at the same time expanding? all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. And I think especially during the pandemic and hopefully soon post pandemic, ah, it's a difficult one. I think people join Granny because they share our values. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the glue that keeps the company together. Obviously, our clients are very attractive clients and people get to work on cool projects. But agency life is still agency life, right? It has long hours. It has sometimes stretches of like a lot of hard work. It sometimes has difficult clients as well. But I think coming together based on a shared understanding of how we want to treat each other and the way we want to approach work and the freedom we grant our, our employees, I think that makes Granny quite an attractive employer. I think also the diverse group of people we hired, I think Granny feels very unagency. Mm -hmm. I have a hire who said, I'm really enjoying Granny because I don't have to pretend to be cool all the time, which was her experiences in other <laughs> agencies. Like, I don't have to pretend That's I'm the coolest, the coolest kid in Berlin. Like, I'm enjoying being around these people. I think that's a that's a good way of retaining talent. And obviously, these people tell their friends in their network that they enjoy working at Granny. But I think overall, the bigger picture of how to hire great talent for agencies it became significantly harder through the mm -hmm. pandemic. Yeah, I was reading that you have an amazing sense from trends. And I mean, we talked about socials a little bit, but what else, what other trends you're seeing right now in maybe social, but also just creative marketing? What do you see that's on the rise and things that are not, you know, repetitive or redundant? What is the new fresh marketing mm -hmm. we're about to experience? Oh, listen, I don't know how much fresh marketing <laughs> we're about to experience. I think that especially the big corporations, the corporations that have the interesting budgets are still catching up to what the Internet's been doing and especially what social media has been doing. I'm still fascinated and that's not news, I think, but I'm still fascinated by what's going on on TikTok. I think the level of storytelling in 15 seconds, 30 seconds, three minutes, whatever, I have not seen this level of creativity in the, on the Internet in a very long time. And I think something very exciting is happening also to my profession mm -hmm. when there is suddenly there's this young, interesting crowd of people who are 
actually fantastic storytellers in 30 seconds, breaking down very complex things into 30 seconds, telling a great joke in 15 seconds. There's something really interesting happening there. And I think what we're also seeing, and that was true on Facebook, that was true on Instagram, but we're also seeing on TikTok is it's not about the budget. You can make a brilliant ad with no money. Suddenly, we're getting very close to a level playing field. You don't have to have Mercedes budgets to actually do something that's creatively very interesting. Mm. And I think that's the, I think that that could not dangerous for big corporations, but I think that's an interesting space where suddenly big marketing machines are competing with creative individuals and that's really exciting to me but that sounds like it is a bit can create this fear and danger because here you have like a whole team behind you thinking on the concepts there's a huge budget you've been in the industry for 20 years and then there's a teenager who just yeah. managed to do a really really cool, cool 15 you know second video yeah. and that went viral and now all the brands want to work with this person it is and it just it was in one day like one day success Yes, that's I. I'm excited about it. So you I love think it. it's fascinating. Okay. Yes, I absolutely love it. I do think there is a time and place for all different scales of marketing activity. I don't think that the big car commercial is going to go away in the next whatever how many years. There's a time and place for that, but I think it's interesting that big car commercials. <laughs> you keep coming back to that. I'm just keep. I'm just coming back to it because I think it's one of the fields where the most budget has been <laughs> traditionally spent. Right. And these people used to produce for like, they're producing for an ad run of six months. Can you imagine today thinking about something that's supposed to run for six months to a year? Think that's not, it feels very odd, right? The way of planning and preparing and we're going to shoot this thing and it's going to cost us half a million euros and then it's going to run on TV for six months. This world is definitely gone. Right. And that's where the interesting TikTok creator comes in. In a day, yeah, three, yeah. four, five million views. It's interesting and fascinating. Speaking about the, the old and the new and the rising stars, what is the state of the creative industry in Germany? If we just specify Germany at the moment, where do you think we are? Ooh. Pressure is on. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see more big companies trust in smaller shops. I think there's a lot of traditional stuff going on. I think there are a lot of traditional choices being made. And I see that in the way our clients approach us. And I remember just from like four or five years ago, the way Granny had to educate clients on what social can do, the way you had to educate that social doesn't have to be the afterthought. You don't have to show up with, I have my out of home. I have my TVC. Can you kind of attach social to it? And then you would have to tell them, I can, but it might not be interesting to a social audience. It might be a great TV spot, but that doesn't make it a great whatever thing on social. And it's still very slowly turning into brands understanding that you maybe want the social people in the room from day one. Mm -hmm. And I think if more brands and big companies would go with smaller shops and would choose the interesting TikTok creator for mm -hmm. their ad. I think that would be really nice. And I think, therefore, it feels like the state of the creative industry in Germany is almost a little bit behind compared to what we see in other markets. Where is US? I mean, what is US doing right now? This is going to sound very stereotypical, and I apologize if people feel offended by it. I think Americans love ads. They always have. 
So they true. just love it, right? It's part of pop culture. The Super Bowl commercial. People talk about it. It's not a bad thing that somebody showed you a cool ad. It's a thing. People share it. People discuss it. It's understood as a creative discipline. So there's that. And I think with that openness towards advertising, generally the industry is a little bit ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the U.S. has quite... The U.S. for the U.S. I think that's the disclaimer here. I think there's a lot of stuff that works specifically in the U.S., made by U.S. creatives. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in the creator industry and how people make advertisements. That being said, I think especially American agencies often don't quite get Europe right. There's that as well. But that's vice versa, basically. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although I think sometimes European viewpoint can be a quite global viewpoint. I think our self-awareness as Europeans can often be... I'm going to sound terrible, but slightly broader, right? Mm. The way we grow up in Europe, there are always different languages, different cultures. We travel from country to country. That's very normal for us. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of a broader viewpoint when it comes to how we communicate. Mm. But yeah, I think often big American brands kind of having a hard time hitting what's truly global or what could be truly European. That's not quite easy for them. If there's something you would love to like maybe change tomorrow in, in Germany when it comes to creative industry, what would that be? Oh, that's a good one. I would love to see, especially in the agency landscape, I would love to see people hire interesting talent. I would love to see people hire that 16-year-old kid that's a great TikTok creator. It doesn't matter where they went to school or if they ever went to uni, who gives a, you know... But, like, get that person. If they're, like, a great creator, get them. I think still today at Granny, the count of people who have worked in an agency before, these are that, these they, these are the lowest amount of my employees. Most of my employees have never worked in an agency before. And I think that that's what makes the creative interesting. So there's that element. I would love to see higher people that are not from an agency that maybe are just great authors or are from a gaming space or are whatever it may be, or um, come from the music space, whatever it may be, really. And I think it'd be very interesting and much more interesting to hire people who don't have a very traditional education. Mm. I think that's where the interesting creative lies. Mm. So everyone is just listening and like checking the applications and like, hey, seems like a good place to work. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. No, it sounds, it sounds amazing and I love the approach. It's... You know, I guess that's what we need. As you said, creativity comes from mm -hmm. within. I had a guess we spoke about creativity and, well, we came to a conclusion that creativity comes from boredom and actually being with oneself and letting things flow and, mm -hmm. and not being result driven. So that's also creativity. So, oh, for sure. So here's the time for experimentation. And that's why certain background doesn't equal, per se, a creative result. And that's fair enough. So my last question of today, Dora, this has been really fun conversation so many insights and i really appreciate your input and the stories but the last question always challenges the guests <laughs> <laughs> and who would you like to mention as a woman who you would define an author of her own achievements so first of all i read the question before i came my um or the woman that's running pr for granny amelie she briefed me and i looked into the briefing i'm like God, this is a very difficult question. So I had to think about it um, throughout my day. I'm going to mention 
or I'm going to choose Maya Watson. She's a former colleague. She ran editorial and publishing for Netflix um, during the time I was there. And she's basically the brains behind Strong Black Lead, which became its own thing on the internet. And they've actually done a thing where they're making trends rather than following them. They're actually found a space where they're setting the tone, which I think is really, really interesting. And she worked on a project, and I must mention, she worked for Oprah before she joined Netflix, and she has a little bit of that energy. She's giving wise woman vibes. Like whenever you had a problem at Netflix, you would sit with Maya for 30 and she would like... She that's, wouldn't give you the answer, but she would make you find it. That's like the effect of working with Oprah. Probably, for <laughs> sure. So she's that kind of personality. It's quite fascinating. And she worked on a piece which is called A Great Day in Hollywood. To this day, every colleague I have or had at Netflix and many of my colleagues in my agency and other agencies today keep referencing that piece. And it gives me so much creative envy. It's one of these pieces where I'm like, I should have had this idea. I should have been, why? Why is she so brilliant? Why did this not come to me? Mm -hmm. um, which is my favorite kind of envy. There are few people in the world that give me exactly that feeling of, this is brilliant. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have been in the room when they came up with that. So I'm going to pick her. I think she made a, and it's not even about the career she made for herself. She went on to work for Clubhouse and I think gave Clubhouse a very interesting moment in time. Um, it's not about the career. It's not about the mm. names she's worked for, the money she makes. I think there are a few things she created that I find truly brilliant and impactful. So I'm going to choose her. Cool. Thanks for bringing her name. And I think everyone is like Googling <laughs> afterwards. Dora, thanks for being today in the studio with me recording this conversation. I... <laughs> Had so much fun learning about your time at Netflix. Amazing plans at Granny. I'm wishing you all the best and Thank I can you. see great people joining. It seems like a good place to be and grow. And also just really understanding why successful marketing today is social first. I think that's that was a clear takeaway from today's conversation. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.